Welcome and back to the Naked Security Podcast. My name is Kimberly Trung, and this week I'm recommending a New York Times documentary episode that I saw on Hulu called Framing Britney Spears. Now, hang in there with me. I don't care what your opinion is about Britney Spears. This is a very good documentary. Highly, highly recommend it. Very short, very quick watch. Just over an hour. That's my recommend this week. Doug Ameth, what do you have for us this week? Leave Britney alone. <laughs> Hashtag free Britney. Um, <laughs> my recommendation is uh, a young man named Alex Melton, M-E-L-T-O-N. So look him up on YouTube or Spotify. He will cover pop songs as a punk band or punk <gasps> cool. songs as a country band. And <laughs> anyone who knows me knows I'm a big sucker for cover songs that are done in a different genre. And yeah. uh, this guy is masterful at it. Alex Melton, M-E-L-T-O-N. Yesterday, I saw someone post an Instagram video of a guy um, doing, is it John Mellencamp's song? The lyric where he says, sucking on chili dog. Yep. But the whole song, all he sings is that lyric. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Very funny. What a time to it's, be alive, huh? <laughs> what a time to be alive. You can find whatever you want on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of, Paul Duckland, do you have a recommendation for our listeners this week? Yes, I am going to recommend a band who once, a couple of years ago, allowed us to use one of their songs. I just happened to like it, oh. and I emailed them and said, hey, can I use this as the outro for the podcast, indie band in Germany? And about an hour later, yeah, sure. And they are called The Space Lords. Oh, good name. Good name. If you... Bandcamp or YouTube, check them out. Be sure to to go Space Lords plural, because I think there are there are bands and songs called Space Lord. It's not them. So as you can imagine, it's it's quite heavy, but it's it's very sort of space rock, maybe what we call prog rock, Ooh. instrumental. Oh. Uh, very cool. This good programming music, and from what I can tell, my interaction with them, lovely bunch of chaps. Great. Okay, before we get into the news, I'll quickly tease the Ono of the week, which of course happens towards the end of our episode. But this week, all I'm going to say is, watch where you're pruning, bro. Doug, what do we have happening in the headlines? All right, we're going to talk about how one man silently infiltrated dozens of high-tech networks. That is a great story, lots of twists and turns. Uh, Romance scams are at an all-time high. And uh, speaking of scams, we're going to talk about an SMS tax scam. But first, fun fact. Do you ever wonder why heavy metal singers are able to scream sing without losing their voices or damaging their vocal cords? Apparently, they use a technique known as the Fry Scream, F-R-Y Scream, which is a combination of larynx compression and a partial opening of the vocal folds to create a raspiness that doesn't do any damage. I think they just have sore throats a lot and hide it well. That's my theory. You just assume that they're yeah they're walking around or they've they've damaged them so much that they're like scar tissue, but apparently it's a it's a technique that they use so they don't actually hurt their vocal cords. There you go. <laughs> Whoa! I did a little uh. bit more research than I wanted to for this, and I was like, this should be like a couple sentences, and all of a sudden I'm like a fry screen. You're down the rabbit hole. Did you did you did you record any clips? No, I'm not allowed to make noise in my did house. You do any testing? Because we oh. have kids that are always sleeping or crying. Mm. Lame. Yeah, and they might get a little bit alarmed. They can make noise. Oh, no. <laughs> Daddy's gone nuts again. <laughs> again? Yeah. Um, I don't know. For me, I, I, I'm i interested in this kind of stuff, but part of me kind of feels like it's seeing how the sausage gets made, right? Mm. You almost feel like, oh, this feels less rock and roll when you hear that there's like a technique. I'm like, of course these people should protect their voices. Why would I want them to like damage their vocal cords? But it does feel less rock and roll to me. There's a Wikipedia entry where there's a there's an audio file and the guy's like, this is the fry technique. And then he's like, and this isn't. Thank you, friends, for joining me. Peace be with you. I'm like, <laughs> buddy, that doesn't sound scary at all. That's not metal. <laughs> Uh, so not metal. So you're right. Anyway, so let's talk about this first story. This is a fascinating mix. I know I overuse this term, but this is a true psychoerotic thriller, a fascinating mix 
of library dependencies, sleight of hand, and lucrative bug bounties. So, Paul, tell us about what happened here. Well, uh, it, the researcher who wrote this up is called Alex Bursan, and his paper that came out last week is called Dependency Confusion. I might have called it Dependency Disaster, but Dependency Confusion, How I Hacked into Apple, Microsoft, and Dozens of Other Companies. So I think that included PayPal, Tesla, Yelp, Shopify. And so no disrespect to any of those. Uh, you know, he, he And he was doing this in accordance with either penetration testing guidelines or a bug bounty program. He didn't do naughty things inside the company extracted just enough information that a he could claim the bounty because he was after the money obviously from all these companies I think he made a lot out of it and he was wanting to inform them so they could find where this uh where the problem existed inside their own network and very simply put it revolves around the fact that if you program these days and you use modern popular programming languages like node uh, which is basically JavaScript running outside your browser, Python, Ruby, languages like that. They all have this giant ecosystem of open source, freely contributed libraries from quite literally millions of developers uh, and individuals all over the world to do all kinds of amazing things. So you think, well, I want to write this really complicated program. I can do it in six lines of Python if I say actually get me this package called fantastic source code simplification package. And so you do that uh, with a Python package manager like PyPI and off it goes to go, oh, well, to use that package, you need this one and that one. And according to Microsoft, uh, you know, they're, they're, who've looked at this on, on GitHub because they were one of the people affected here, the av apparently, and this was a couple of years ago, it's probably worse now, the average open source package under package manager control in GitHub has 180 dependencies. Oh my God. So when you say, I want to use this one package, it's kind of like this giant, I was going to say house of cards gets fetched. But it reminded me, in fact, of there's a famous bit of poetry in English from the, the famous uh, mathematician and logician, Augustus de Morgan, of in, as in de Morgan's law. Uh, he was very much into uh, mathematical induction, how you prove uh, this thing by referring to the previous and the previous by referring to the pre-previous. And his poem goes, great fleas have little fleas upon their backs to bite them, and little fleas have lesser fleas, and so ad infinitum. And those great fleas themselves in turn have greater fleas to go on, while those again have greater still and greater still, and so on. And so what the researcher did in this case is he figured, well, if there's this giant house of fleas, let's call it, you know, where a company that has some software that they're using in-house depends on this giant sea of packages, the obvious way to hack what's called the supply chain is to find one of those packages that they're using, public packages, and then the person who's managing that package maybe has lost control of it or has lost interest or is sloppy with their password. You go and hack that package. Now, that's a well-known way of doing a package manager supply chain attack. He found another way, which is kind of much more devious. He noticed, and I think they started with PayPal for what it's worth. Again, no disrespect to PayPal. They noticed that PayPal had this, I think it was Node, so it's JavaScript code that they're using that relied on a whole sea of packages. And some of them were obviously internal packages because they had names like PayPal-this and PayPal-that. There's no problem with that. You don't have to publish your packages. They Maybe they do software stuff that no one else will ever need. So why would you, why would you ever bother to export them or put them on GitHub? Or maybe they're meant to be private. And so the idea is that those packages only ever get updated internally. And he figured, what if I go into the public package database, create a package with an external package with the name of one of the internal packages, and just give it a bigger version number than the one they're using? Mm -hmm. And maybe if I don't know what version number they're using, I'll just like say I know they're using 3.2.6.9. I'll just call mine 3.9999.9, whatever it is, you know. I wonder how many of these internal packages will accidentally, due to a misconfiguration, 
get replaced by the external packages that just happens to have the same name. And um, as the headline of the article suggests, uh, and him saying I hacked dozens of companies, um, it was quite a lot, 35, I believe, companies. He discovered that they had internal source code packages that were part of an internal ecosystem that was inadvertently connected to a global external open source package ecosystem where you could influence the internal behavior of their software by just publishing something, if you knew the right name, publicly on a popular public website where that's supposed to be quite normal. So it's kind of hacking into someone's network without the hacking. Brilliant. Well, what's worse is that you think, well, someone will notice, right? Like the build system will probably break or, or uh, you know, someone will notice that the code's changed. The problem is that what he wasn't trying to do, which is what a, a lot of the attacks where you try and substitute an already external package with an updated or modified version, hope no one notices the changes. He wasn't trying to inject code into their software. He noticed or relied on the fact that most package managers, when you download a package, an update, it doesn't just have, here's the new version of the source code. They generally also have an installation or an update script, which runs on the system that's downloading the new package, basically to make sure that the new source code is delivered correctly. And those update scripts can kind of do whatever you want. So in theory, he can deliver exactly the same code as you had before, so your developers won't notice. Their software that uses that code will still work fine. Their software will pass its code review. Their software will pass all its tests. But the act of downloading and doing the unauthorized update allows you essentially to inject remote code somewhere inside that company's network. And while that may be well controlled, it might be a limited environment, it might not be because you're already inside the development management system or on a server somewhere. And to make sure that that was happening, he actually exfiltrated, leaked out some data from inside the companies that he'd, I'm using air quotes, broken into. Now, he would, this is where he's very careful. He wasn't being a naughty bug bounty hunter. He was trying to reveal as little as possible so he collected just enough information that he could prove to the company, look, this must have come from you guys, and just enough that they could go and find out which of the millions of computers in their, inside their company was the one that did the unauthorized package download and ran the code and then perhaps distributed it further on. And the good news is that the, you know these, the, 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 all these companies have now tied things down a little bit and if you go to the article that we wrote about this on naked security, um, we've also put together a quite extensive list of, of guidelines that you can use uh, inside your network to make sure that this doesn't happen. You know, a, a sort of defense in depth approach from, for example, using firewall rules to prevent stuff getting downloaded from configuring your package managers for internal packages so that they don't go out by mistake and by using techniques like code review or uh, dependency allow listing to prevent people shoving code into your internal systems that isn't supposed to be there in a way that you kind of don't notice. That story is called How One Man Silently Infiltrated Dozens of High-Tech Networks on NakedSecurity.Sophos.com. And for more on bug bounties, check out a very special 16-minute mini-sode of the podcast where Paul talks with Sophos's own Chester Wisniewski about the concept of bag bounties. Here's a quick clip. In your experience, are the, I'm going to call them scammers, do you think they are focusing on small businesses that may have become much more active on the web recently due to coronavirus problems? I think there's a whole spectrum there. And certainly at worst, it's scattershot in targeting just about anyone and anything and not targeting small businesses in particular. I talk to some of our internal security people at Sophos, and in fact, we get quite a, a regular quantity of these coming into our reports, mostly of the variety around things like DMARC, and we're quite a large company, clearly, so I don't think there's any targeting that way. The variety of the samples I looked at 
kind of show everything from clearly what I would consider malicious and even criminal intent uh, on one end to very close to legitimate, but perhaps just crossing a line that's a cultural line. And the one I went into most detail on was a, uh, a bug hunter who went by the name of Faisal. He wasn't trying to withhold the solution. He wasn't trying to threaten or make any specific demand. He clearly was trying to generate leads for his uh, penetration testing business. And he was very uh, polite and non-threatening in all the communication I had with him and was very close to legitimate. Uh, but because of the nature of the solicitation, I would still mark that as uh, somebody I, I'm comfortable doing business with. And that is uh, Season 3, Episode 19.5, How Not to Be a Bug Bounty Hunter on NakedSecurity.Sofos.com slash podcast. Yes, it's quite a fun listen. Chester's uh, very eloquent and in explaining to anyone who wants to get into bug bounty hunting, like Mr. Bursan in the article we just spoke about, anyone who wants to try that, how to do it in a way which will help you to fit in well with the bug hunting community and not come across as somebody who is either just begging for something because you think you found something important but without being able to prove it, or worse, that you come across as somebody who either looks like or is are basically trying to extort the person at the other end. So don't say things like, hey, I think I found a vulnerability on your website. Send me money and I will tell you what it is. That is not going to impress anybody. That's not how it works. It is not. And also, of course, bug bounties. That's another good reason to read um, Alex Bursan's paper is it also gives a good description of the things that you need to think about putting in place before you go looking for particular classes of bugs. And he describes how he tried in, in, in this thing, how he tried to minimize the amount of data that he would extract from inside the network. He needed enough to prove that the bug existed, enough that the company he was responsibly reporting it to would be able to find out which computer was or which part of the network was where the problem existed, but not so much that he did, oh, oh, I've just committed a data breach without meaning to. All right. Speaking of asking for money, <laughs> guys, uh, here's a story that I, I, look, I'm cracking my knuckles as we speak because I'm so interested in this kind of stuff. We are going to talk next about romance scams. Oh, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm sorry I laughed now because they're actually not funny at all. There, but, no, uh, none of this is on. funny, but like... No, I know what you mean. It's it's, it's interesting. It's wild, right? Um, so yeah, the really U.S. Is. Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, um, America's official consumer protection watchdog, recently warned that romance scammers are making more money than ever before. Uh, victims in the U.S. were tricked out of more than $300 million in 2020, up from $200 million in 2019. So the FTC says that the median average financial loss in a romance scam was $2,500, more than 10 times as much as the average for other online scams. So Yeah, and remember, most, as we'll get to, most of the money that goes in romance scams by design of the scammers, they, they manage to sucker you into paying in cash or cash equivalent. Yeah. And you are not going to get your money back, I'm afraid. You really, you, there, there's a... There's, there's the tiniest chance, but you should assume that it is effectively zero. It's not like phoning a credit card company, oh, stop right. the money. It's basically gone for good, I'm afraid. Right. So I find this very interesting. And Duck, you wrote this in the article, but it's essentially a cyber crime gang will find you online, typically through a dating site or social media. Okay, that makes sense. The gang researches your interest using public sources. Okay, that makes sense. Um, of course, your social media, your dating sites, maybe information posted by your friends, like they tag you in a photo or whatever. Then one of the gang members will create a fake online profile. This is where they lure you in with the fake uh, knowledge that they yeah. know about you that aligns, of course, with what you uh, believe, what you like, what have you. Exactly. Um, and they make contact using an assumed personality, of course, calculated to appeal to you. Uh, obviously using someone else's name or photo, what have you. They could be in country X, you're in country Y. They'll find someone else, maybe on the same dating site or just somebody who happens, maybe they grew up in the next town. Who or looks legit, a, yeah. Who, or, or maybe that, you, you know, you think, golly, I'm, surpri I'm surprised I never bumped into you. 
because we were we were we were at schools that were close by or we both used to go to 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 watch cricket at the same place or whatever mm-hmm. it was you know and they so they they borrow not just somebody else's photo and name but they can borrow things like the name of the school that that person went to when they were there what they studied what they did at university so they've they kind of get the this whole free backstory as well that they can just dine out on in dribs and drabs that Ugh. makes you think wow what i can't believe that finally i've met my soulmate and in if they weren't a scammer, you probably would have. That's the problem. My wife and I have this theory that we have we grew up not far from each other, that we, we may have met or bumped into each other several times when we were younger. But now I'm thinking this might just be, this is her long con. This is just a big scam <laughs> to get up my uh, middle management marketing dollars that I'm pulling home in my paycheck. Yeah, yeah, she did well. She did well. She got her three kids. Or, or say, Doug, by this time, I think she's earned it. <laughs> yeah, this is. I sincerely do. I think you have no cause for complaint, and you're not getting your money back. Yeah, in fact, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, all right. Now, this cyber criminal, right? Let's get back to the story at hand. How this works? Uh, they show if, if you show an interest in them, which why wouldn't you? Because she loves to surf, and she's into all the things that you're into. Uh, yep. The crook carefully cultivates a friendship by pretending to be exactly the sort of person you're looking for, obviously, typically over a period of time. Can I interrupt you, Kip? Sorry. Um, of course. I just on me, this is not a scam because my wife is not interested in anything I'm interested in <laughs> and doesn't even pretend to be. She's like, do you play video games? You're 42 years old. I'm like, yeah, they're fun. <laughs> so, yeah, this is not a scam. This is real. Maybe she's doing the long, longer game. Yeah, maybe the she's super like mega extra long Inception, game. All right, now I'm back on. You know, now I'm like okay, I'm one eighty again. Okay, now I'm worried again. <laughs> you can see how easy it is if someone's talking to you over a long period of time on and off at the kind of friendship level that if if you're just a blagger and you know that there's always going to be a reason why you can't meet them, which is, and double extra reasons thanks to coronavirus pandemic. Um, you know, you can play that game however you want. And, you know, the people who don't fall out off, the people who do become friends with you, those are the ones that you put more and more and more time into. And that's how the crooks work. They start with a small number of people and they don't mind if a few of the people spot them along the way because, you know, they can't scam a hundred people. At, they can't take regular lovey-dovey calls from a hundred people at the same time but they can take regular lovey-dovey calls from five or ten people at the same time and string them all along for days, weeks, months, in some cases that I'm aware of, years, where it just they've just got this regular income that they're just bleeding out of this person who still thinks that their romantic dream is alive. It just sounds yeah. exhausting as a scammer. Like, I got to talk on the phone with these people all the time. Well, not necessarily, because... Uh... Look, I mean, I, I watch my fair share of reality TV, um, and again, I'm into this kind of stuff, but there's a reality show called 90 Day Fiance. I'm not going to really get into it. Um, people who know what it is know what I'm talking about, but there are people out there, and I think this is what makes this whole romance scam, if it happens to you, even more confusing because there are real people out there who will use their real photos um, send you real videos of themselves, but they'll make a video. And so instead of saying like, hey, Doug, they'll say, hey, baby. And then they send that video to 30 different people, right? Yeah, it's very efficient. It's very efficient. So like, it, I think there's so many layers here. And obviously this example we're walking through right now is a very generic one, but I, I can understand why someone gets pulled into this between yeah. catfishing and uh, just people, you know, in other countries who want to take advantage of people who are, you know, looking for their other half or whatever. Um, it's very Kimberly, very I met sad. someone once at a cybersecurity event in Australia who'd been invited because she was a smart woman. She was in a early 50s, divorced, you know, interested perhaps in getting married again, got sick of going to the pub. Uh, she said, I just like, real life dating just wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. I, and yeah. so I thought, I'll try a dating site. And you can call me stupid if you like, but the scammer who 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 bilked her out of money now 
if she'd been a native speaker of English, she might have spotted that his accent didn't line up. But she was mm. fluent in English, but she was originally German. So maybe mm. she couldn't, she, she couldn't, she didn't have quite the accent clues. And she said, you know what? In all the time this guy scammed me, when he told me, darling, I'll call you at 4 p.m. on Friday, she said, he never let me down. Wow. He never missed. He never wow. called me up at six o'clock and said, oh, no, I'm with Jono in the pub and I'm a bit wasted, I, like I'm not coming today. She said, he never, ever let me down. Yeah. And he always had time to live. So they do put in what you might call the hard yards because for them it is a, like a nine to five or a 10 to eight or a right. if money's two on the to line, 11, yeah. whatever it is. Uh-huh. And right. they'll just keep this going. And they're not like the scammers who go, oh, I'm going to send you a mail, click the link, get your password, get in, sell it for 15 bucks. Yeah, it's a, They're a, a, looking for people who will be a, a source of illegal money for them. Like in some cases, people, you know, they will be, get taken. It's not just the $2,500 in the US that the FTC, that's the median. You know, some people, sadly, you know, they get suckered for tens of thousands in some cases, are hundreds of thousands of dollars, because yeah. you know once once they've once they're into the dream, once they're pursuing it, and they've decided they actually trust the person, no matter how different they may feel, they kind of figure, well, love conquers all, mm-hmm. and yeah. so that to stop paying the scammer money, they would have to admit that their dreams are nightmare. Yes, and you know that, it's hard yeah. to do that. That's that's and that's what these scammers are manipulating. Upon, and yeah. Absolutely, and they they're not in a hurry. They really aren't in a hurry because they don't want twenty five hundred dollars. They'll take it. They want twenty five thousand dollars, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars if they can get it. Right. That's and that's. I think the that I think is a really good point. Right. It's like as Doug is saying, the long con. Right. I want this person plugged into me, sending me money for the long term. I don't want just one hit and then I have to go try to find someone else. Like I want to try to get. If I were a scammer, I would want to try to get as much money out of this one person as much as humanly possible, which obviously this is actually the next point we were going to talk about is exactly this, is this idea of you're getting pulled into this idea of uh, this person being truthful, reliable, as you said, Duck, yeah. um, and you can expect to hear from them. They will reply to your messages or whatever, and it, it really does feed into this vicious cycle of like, why wouldn't I trust this person? <laughs> so I'm going to continue to give money to them and uh, it works but it works it's like advanced level social engineering there's always a reason why they can't show up and they need this little bit more money and that little bit more money and you know if if they've got you into that dream to a point that you imagine well in the long run my ultimate goal in a year's time is actually to meet up with the person and I'll assume we'll hit it off and then I actually want to get married and I want to settle down with them or have a long-term relationship with them, then you kind of think, well, it doesn't matter because if we were living together, I'd, I'd be spending the money anyway. And, you know, they, they do create this alternative reality, like that lady said. She said, this guy, apart from everything he said being a pack of lies, in terms of his timekeeping, that angle of his of how he kept his promises was 100% which is exactly the opposite, exactly what I didn't like about all the blokes I tried to meet via more conventional means, mm-hmm. that they may have been more honest than this guy, but they were they were, they were, were obviously unreliable. I could tell they were unreliable because they'd tell me to my face. Right. Oh, now I'm not coming today. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to the beach or I'm, you know, now I'm not leaving the pub. Yeah. And um, so this, this guy, who the, the scammer I think was from, in this case was from somewhere in Africa and I forget which country and but was pretending to be a, someone from Queensland in Australia just th- like the next the next town to the north mm. so you know had all the and and he I think he borrowed an identity where you know had the right school he just he knew enough places he knew he, he knew the names of the towns and he knew the names of roads and and then he'd been out of the country for years wow. So he could ask all the right questions. Oh, how's Brisbane these days? Blah, 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 blah. You know, Mm. I can see why intelligent people who would consider themselves in financial matters, who could run a successful business and not consider themselves gullible at all, could easily be ensnared by this long con stuff. Yeah. Really can. 
so the, uh, I want to also point this out because the FTC put this in their report um, that, that I wouldn't have even thought of this. Um, they say that uh, the coronavirus pandemic obviously has created a whole new set of excuses available exactly, to these romance yep. scammers, so which is got more, incredible. They were doing just fine before coronavirus came along. And actually, the FTC is, in their report, they're quite clear saying, we, we, we're, not, we're, we're not suggesting that this has got 50% worse than it was the year before because of the pandemic. In fact, we kind of think that this would have probably have happened anyway because these guys have got 20 different excuses as to why they missed the flight, why they never came to see you, why they need more money. But coronavirus has just dropped a whole load of new ones in their lap like oh i'm so sorry darling i i like suddenly i'm not i know i've bought the visa i know there's been the attorney's fees i know i bought the plane ticket but but i i i had to go for a covid19 test came up came up positive quarantined <laughs> yeah. like the other one is oh yeah that, you know you, the, the, you'll go to the airport the bloke never arrives and so you go home thinking, golly, I've been cheated. And then he goes quiet for a few days. That's never happened before. And then suddenly the phone rings. And, of course, it's someone with a completely different voice, uh, also from the gang, of course, phoning up saying, um, I'm looking, I'm trying to get in touch with so-and-so, I think. And I think they're at this number. Do you know somebody? All we know is his first name is whatever it is, Colin. I'm a doctor at the hospital. What it, you know, there are all sorts oh, of stories oh they come no. up with. Yeah. And it's a, it, it seems that this guy, he, he had a bag with him with luggage and an air ticket. So it seems like he was on the way to your part of the world. And he was in the taxi, was in a terrible accident. And the taxi driver did a runner. And this guy was like, he was in a bad shape. And we got him in the hospital. But that's all we know is that we're just like, we've got very little things like his passport and his money, of course, would have been stolen. And, you know, there, there, there's yeah, always a yeah, story yeah, that yeah. you can believe if you want to. And it sounds terrible. And they go, look, what are we going to do? Because, like, he's in bad shape. And by someone brought him to a private hospital. Unless someone starts paying the bills, we're going to transfer him to the public hospital. Let me show you how bad the public hospitals are in our part of the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very awful. And I want to go back to a point you were making earlier about how these guys get money out of you. Um, it seems like obviously you had mentioned earlier the gift cards. That seems to be a popular way. Um, yep. Apparently, what scammers ask you to pay using a wire transfer. Yeah, that's quite common to parts of the world where it's hard to get a bank account. The person doing the scam, they might they they might claim they're living in a country that's considered dangerous or corrupt or whatnot. Um, but they won't necessarily pretend to be a resident of that country. They might say, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on a contract, and it's been quite tough, and blah, 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 blah." And you know, I'm bound to be coming back because my contract's expiring. So they'll come up with any story they want, and yeah, and they say, "Look, don't whatever you do, don't put money into my bank account." And they'll mm. give you a, a bank account number if you want. So don't use that. The banks here are so cor- yeah, they'll come up with a story. The banks are so corrupt, I can't rely on it. It's it it. It's half an hour's drive to the bank because we're out at you know in the countryside and whatnot. But their local shop can accept wire transfers and pay them in cash, which they can use immediately. So it, it doesn't sound really weird. And as you say, the other ones gift cards. Somehow they'll convince you. Oh well, I can re- I can somehow redeem gift cards. Mm-hmm. You buy a gift card. You scratch it off the pin that you're only supposed to scratch off when you absolutely want to spend it. Basically, as you know, with those those online gift cards, the idea is once you once you use the scratch thing, you've basically spent it, right? That's the idea. Mm. And so then they do go and sell them online, or they just hand them off to somebody who gives them, you know, fifty cents in the dollar, eighty cents in the dollar, whatever they're going to get. And so you, you, there's no way you can get their money back because it's essentially like you spent it. Yeah. And incidentally. One of the real problems that we see, and this is, I think, more common than you might expect, it's not just true for romance scams, also for other types of financial scams. What we've seen is that when someone does finally, when the penny finally drops, when the dream finally explodes, the next thing the scammers do is they run a, like a kind of secondary scam where now they pretend, say, to be local law enforcement. Oh. And they say, are you so-and-so? I am Detective Inspector blah, blah, blah from the Fraud Commission. And we have evidence that somebody, and using the following aliases in the list, one one of them will be the one you know the person as, of course. The crooks know all the details. And the only information we have so far is on date here. They, you paid them so much money and whatnot. We're looking to fill in the gaps. 
you know, can you help us? Can you do this? If you if you give us all this more information, then we may actually be able to get you money out of the restitution fund. And if you search hard enough, you'll find occasions when people actually did get their money back from restitution funds. So if you're willing, if you if you're prepared to believe it, it could be true. And you basically get scammed all over again by the same scammers. Oh. And the reason the reason they know which details to pick and how to convince you that well, we must have. If we're a cop, we're just investigating. How else would we know the details? Because they just skipped you. God, there isn't oh, the details. Awful. They're in the spreadsheet, it's you know, so that bad. they kept for the last two years. Right. Awful. The last part of this that, that is really worrying is that, as well as as well as saying, "Oh, we can help you get your money back," you need to be very careful. I think if you, I think if you've come out of a romance scam and you've cut it off with the crooks, is be careful of somebody who suddenly approaches you saying. Are you feeling bad and depressed about this? Would you like to join a support group? There are bona fide support groups for people who've been the victim of romance scams because it's a hideous thing to come out of. You've lost your money. In many cases, the crooks will have driven a wedge between you and your family and your friends because your friends have probably been telling you for months, this guy's up to no good. This is a scam. And you've been fighting for your, air quotes, fiancé hard. And now it's all the wheels have come off. So if you're looking for a support group, whatever you do, if someone reaches out to you saying, oh, I hear that you've been the victim of a scam, let me help you, maybe don't go there. Because mm, yeah. the people who know the most about how to lure you back in by offering you support for exactly what happened to you would be those self-same crooks. So ask your local police or ask your local, like, uh, uh, you know, your local healthcare professional, how can I, how can I get genuine help locally um, to get through this? So- Definitely, you need to watch out for a secondary scam, particularly those support groups, and I can help you get your money back. Yeah, so um, we have quite a few tips in the article on nakedscary.sophos.com if you want to check them out. I don't want to read them all because I am going to assume that all you know, a good amount of our listeners may not have been affected by a romance scam. But I think the FTC says this in their report, and I actually think, I mean, I've watched way too many episodes of Catfish uh, to also <laughs> know this myself, is that just doing a simple reverse image search of a person's Absolutely. profile photo yeah. will probably be an indicator as to whether or not that's real. And I truly think yeah. that's probably the first step you should take. If you if you are questioning someone's identity online, just hit that reverse Google um, image search and you will be surprised what comes up. Yeah. I just reverse image searched my wife's picture. Is she real? That just uh, comes back. Her name is, her real name is Network Connectivity Problems. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's move on. This is, uh, this is a fun segment. We like to let's just take a we're going to take a breather. We're going on to another scam story. The scam train is pulling into the station. Everyone's going to get out and stretch their legs <laughs> with a segment we like to call technology etymology. Today we're going to be talking about Atari. Before Atari was named Atari, it went by the very beautiful and just rolls off the tug Syzygy Company. S Y Z Y G Y Syzygy. However. Atari co-founder Nolan Bushnell apparently considered various terms from the game Go, which is uh, believed to be the world's longest-running board game invented in China about 2,500 years ago, eventually choosing Atari, which references a position in the game when a group of stones is imminently in danger of being taken by one's opponent, kind of like a checkmate in chess, although uh, from what I read, it's rude to say Atari while you're playing Go. It's considered rude. So let's uh, now mm. get back on the scam train because it's so uh, uplifting choo and great. Choo. Uh, SMS scams and these are we're talking about tax scams with this one. This was a UK-based scam sent in by a reader. Thank you, reader. And we're probably about to see a bunch of these in the U.S. as well, given that tax day is two months away. So, Paul, what's happening in this oh, yeah. tax scam? Yep. So this was, it says, uh, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, of course, it's an SMS, so it just says HMRC, uh, a tax rebate of £278.44. So they're not, it's not like that, it's not unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So it's this modest amount. You've got the tax rebate for an overpayment in the previous year. Click the link to proceed. And then there's one of those links. It has the right looking text in the URL, but at the left hand end. So you're on a phone, remember? It's an SMS. So if you click the link, by the time you get to the web page, you can't see the full link. You just see the left-hand end of it where it, it you know, it looks like HM Rev and Customs or whatever. So it kind of – this one isn't great. They could have picked a better name, but it, it, it it's one of those tricks where – 
they're using an SMS, presumably because A, there are fewer chances for a crook to make a typo or a spelling mistake, and abbreviated English is quite acceptable. And B, you only get SMSs on a phone. So when you click the link on a phone, you're going to be in the much more limited screen real estate of the browser on your phone. And when you do that, of course, there is a web page. And apart from a few spelling mistakes and the fact they haven't got it quite right, they could have been a bit more careful. If you go to the Naked Security article, just just sit away from your screen so that you can't clearly read the text and look at it. And if you've ever seen the UK government gateway web portal pages, including HMRC pages, it is surprisingly visually appealing. It doesn't look completely weird or wonky. It just looks like, hey, it's the government gateway page, picks the type of tax code you've got, blah, blah, blah. They've even, to make it seem sort of current and realistic, they've even thrown in a handy coronavirus warning on the page, um, like the government's own websites do. And then it takes you through a series of questions that they ask you for things that HMRC would never ask you or would not need to ask you, but they do so on a form. When I looked at it, I thought, golly, this looks exactly like the form I've used comparatively recently for my own stuff. So it hasn't taken them a huge amount of effort, but they visually, it's perfectly believable. They even offer, yeah, as is required by law in England and Wales, they even offer you the page in Welsh. Maybe I'm being pedantic here. You? But no. the, first, the very first <laughs> selection, individual, please select this option if you, Y-O-U-U, are self-employed. That tripped me up yeah. a little bit. Again, if you're going to run a scam like yeah. this, just you don't need a full-time copy editor, but just get someone on your crew, <laughs> one person that's like kind of good with the typing and language and grammar, and just have that person just kind of check this before you send it out. Doug, you've brought this up several times. Why don't you just go ahead and start this LLC that you want to do? I think the problem is, Doug... That <laughs> I don't want to pay taxes. I, to be honest, when I was going through these screens to get the screenshots, so obviously I wasn't being as cautious as I ought to have been, but I was looking at them pretty carefully. I didn't notice that until I went back and went through every screen carefully afterwards. Because, you know what? Visually, just the look and feel of it... If you've ever used HMRC's portal page before, when you're going into your tax return, it's kind of what it looks like. The side-by-side, -side, yeah, they got like a proper web developer on, the, on this That's task. what I'm saying. Just you, you got tripped up by the... <laughs> take, it they, yeah. Step, yeah, take it they one step further. They used a web further, crawler yeah. to download the, the gov.uk's real site. Now, the one thing, of course, that they cannot forge, at least in the UK, is the address because... Right gov.uk, those domains, they're very, very strictly regulated. Um, and so they've got to get the domain wrong. And I presume they're, they're assuming that on your phone, by the time you've clicked, the security indicators that are easy to see on a laptop in a browser like Firefox or Chromium or Edge or whatever you use, those security indicators are not so obvious on your phone. And so by starting right. with an SMS, the message is easy to get so that it looks right. It's hard to make a mistake. And of course, they don't need dear your real name. They don't even know, need to know who you are because everyone looks out for that, right? They go, dear customer. They go, ah, must be a scammer. In an SMS, it doesn't put your name in because it's a waste of characters. So I've got to grudgingly admit they've, they've done quite a good way. And then the last thing they do, which is a common trick you see in this, is because uh, obviously they want the, the dead giveaway should be they want your credit card number. Um, but they're refunding your money. They're not going to HMRC is not going to refund it to your credit card, and they ask you for the CVV, the code on the back, mm. which is used to authorize payments, not to, for people to pay you. So, by the, of course, if you noticed by then, you'd already given away the previous page, which has got mother's maiden name and date of birth and stuff like that. Um, but at the end, what they do is they then redirect you to the real gov.uk portal page, and that is exactly the right government site it has it starts with a coronavirus warning and advice on lockdown blah 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 and they wipe out your browser history so if you suddenly have second thoughts you go oh i wonder what i did and you try and go back thinking i'll do the right thing i'll just go back and see whether the url was right the back button won't work or it'll just leave you on the gov.uk site which is not a very sophisticated way of tricking you but 
it is something that somebody is is sort of half-heartedly trying to check, oh, did I make a mistake? It does make it less likely that you'll catch them even after the event. Stop me if you've already said this before. I feel like we have talked about tax scams before, but is it normal in the UK to receive text messages? Because I, I can tell you the US government ain't that hip. Uh, no, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't think it is. But, yeah. you know, who knows, right? Because mm, when right. the first lockdown started in the UK, it's the only time I've seen it because I think they realized maybe that wasn't such a good idea. I got, and it was an innocent looking SMS. It didn't have a URL, but I wondered if it was softening me up. Some like coronavirus thing and you can find the guidelines and here's how you can, you know, note we're all in lockdown now, blah, 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 from gov.uk, the government portal. And it turns out, that was an SMS sent by Her Majesty's government, and it did go to basically everyone in the UK. And people said, you know, that was a terribly bad idea because you now condition people to accept these like random messages that they never got before. Mm. And so maybe they figured we we need to find a way where we only message people in a way that kind of meshes with what they'd expect. So, you know, if they haven't signed up for SMSs, then they shouldn't get one because that'll be a giveaway. So that's the problem. You never can tell, right? You, like, right. Sometimes you get text messages. Sometimes you get emails. Sometimes you get phone calls. Sometimes you get letters. And the problem is that it's hard to know which is the, you know, as society rushes forward to be more and more digital, it's hard to know what the, what the state of play is. Every couple of months or so, I get a voicemail on my phone that says, Please do not hang up. This is an important message. You are being audited. If you do not reply to this message, you'll be going directly to jail. Please call this number right now. I'm like, whoa, I'm being audited. This is bad. What should I do? Well, just another reader sent in the same day, actually. This is another SMS scam. Is it the same crooks? I don't know. Exactly the same kind of idea. It's just a short message. The Obviously, short because S in SMS stands for short. Um, but... It's a modest amount of money, but not so little that you wouldn't care. And this one is name of UK High Street Bank, fraud alert, colon. You've authorised a payment of £240 to a random made-up legitimatish name, but probably not someone you know. If this was not you, please cancel via, and there's a link. And once again, it's got the the whole www.security.looksok.completelymadeup domain that won't show up on your phone. So that's the same idea, right? They're just, they're saying, you say, well, I've never had one of these before. But then, you know, maybe you've never had a tax refund before. Well, mm. let me tell you from personal experience, if you're being audited, which a lot of these scams are audit scams, they send you a big fat envelope that says, don't even think about throwing this away. <laughs> Open it now and don't jerk us around because I got one of those nasty grams. But you can imagine there's going to come a time, and it's certainly happening in the UK, when whatever letter you get from whatever government department, there's going to be something in there that says, did you know that you can go online <laughs> to pay, and to pay this bill. sign up so we do not yeah. have to mail you anymore? Yep. Before we go, just I said we'd mention the IRS. The latest scam they're warning about is for businesses. Uh, my understanding is that you guys have, if you're, if you're a business, you get a thing called an eFIN, which is basically like two-factor authentication almost. They mail you the letter through the physical post, and that has a magic code in that lets you do your tax return when you need to. And so it sounds like a good idea, right? You've got this thing in the mail. If the if the letter never arrives, then you kind of know something's gone wrong, so you can do something about it. If the letter does arrive, you can see whether it's been tampered with, and you kind of figure, okay, there's my magic code. That's great protection against the crooks. And then this scam, they're just going, and it's quite reasonably well written, in order to help protect both you and your clients from unauthorized and fraudulent activities. This is aimed at uh, tax agents, I guess. Um, uh, please validate your EFIN with us. Oh, dear. Oy, and you think, oy, oy. well, who would do that? You're kind of thinking, well, okay, filing season's coming up. I've got loads of customers that I'll need to be doing this for. Maybe I better do this because I don't want to leave it till the last minute and then find I have to wait for a letter to arrive. And it also, it's just basically, you know, we're going to ask you for the documentation. You put it in and then your number. So you're going to put that number in sooner or later, right, as your way of validating yourself. So now they're asking for a air quotes, pre-validation stage. All right, that's SMS tax scam on mask. Bogus, but believable. Don't fall for it don't do it but you know what you can do stick around you can stick around because it's time for the oh no 
of the week. Now, this Ono was submitted by a loyal listener. We have anonymized this person. Uh, We're calling him Loyal Listener. Loyal Listener writes, I was pruning some ivy that was growing at the front of my house in the summer and misjudged a snip, which belonged to, insert ISPA, cable that ran into my house. Oh no, I said, but then realized I had switched to ISPB for my broadband some months earlier, which uses different infrastructure. So I shrugged and continued to prune. Fast forward 12 months and my ISPB broadband contract is ending. So I was looking for my next provider. This seems to be how the market works these days. And sure enough, ISPA came up with the best deal. So I signed up and was delighted to find that there was a tick box to say that I knew that cabling outside the property was damaged. (laughs) And I quickly hid my shears (laughs) in the shed so no one would ever knew what I was up to. (laughs) Wiped the fingerprints, uh, threw it in the river. When the engineer turned up, he looked at my handiwork and said, oh no, you cut that cable. He then called base with heavily disguised amusement to tell them that I had cut the fiber to the house whilst pruning. I didn't understand the implications, but later that day, a new ISPA team arrived with a large van, a power generator, and some interesting tools. When I inquired what they were going to do, they said as I had cut the fiber they needed to replace a 200 meter length of fiber from my house to the distribution cabinet up the road some way. Incredibly, my broadband was up and working by the end of the day. And since the deal involved an initial credit, I haven't actually paid them any money yet. That the... is incredible. And for a small fee, we will yeah. not reveal your name. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> or identify the ISP in case some uh, sales or engineering person is reading. Yeah, that that's quite nice to them, right? But I suppose... <laughs> Probably what, not the first this time this has happened to them, I'm, I'm going to guess. I must say, okay, so it wasn't a cable; it was a it was a glass strand, harder to replace because you have to do the whole thing. He's jolly lucky that it was just an internet cable, and not you know the power to my external lighting, right? Uh, where he might have electrocuted himself. Oh, <laughs> right, that would be. That be we careful would have... when you're snipping your ivy, folks. That is very kind of that ISP, oh, by the way. Ending. All these love what scams a... and tax scams, and this guy gets a. Read glass cable. <laughs> oh boy. Um, if you have enjoyed that, oh no, you can email us like this loyal listener did with his own personal story. You can email us tips at sophos.com or you can DM us. We're on all the major social platforms Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or you can leave an anonymous comment on any of our articles, nakedsecurity.sophos.com or as I've said before, I'm not great at it, but you can find me on Reddit. It's oh no, it's Kim. That's my username. O O H N O, it's Kim. And I will happily read your story whenever I just so happen to be on Reddit. And don't forget to check out our special mini-sode on Big Bounties featuring Paul Ducklin and Chester Wisniewski. And until next time, stay, stay secure. secure. Sucking on chili dog. <laughs>